When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's August 15th, 1938, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that America learned, courtesy of a brief paragraph in the New York Times, of a 40,000-strong parade at a Nazi summer camp. Attendees lined the streets to throw Hitler salutes and sing Nazi anthems as campers and brown-shirted stormtroopers marched by. So far, so 1938. But what (laughs) made this camp unique was that it was on Long Island. Yes, and the camp itself was a real mix of wholesome and not quite so wholesome, because (laughs) you did have... (laughs) Like so much to do with the Nazis, I feel. I know, there's all the good bits too that people gloss over. (laughs) Um, So you did have those sort of um, generic youth camp-like activities, like, you know, campfire building and swimming lessons and arts and crafts. And then you alongside it had this marching and Nuremberg style mini rallies and uh, and the creation of Aryan themed pamphlets. So this is Camp Siegfried we're talking about here, which was a Nazi summer camp, basically, and not just an oddity. There was a big movement of mostly uh, German emigrants who supported what Hitler was doing and wanted to create something similar amongst patriotic young Americans. And so although this particular holiday camp in Yatpank, Long Island, was the biggest and the most significant, it was far from the only one. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and California all had Nazi summer camps. Yeah, and most of them were sponsored by the German-American Bund, which is a relatively benign-sounding name, but it was the direct successor of the Friends of New Germany, which had been founded with the blessing of the Nazi Party in Germany in 1933 to promote the new regime within the US. And within a year, that group and ones like it, who were doing things like spreading fascist propaganda, circulating anti-Semitic literature, they caused so much concern that a congressional special committee was formed to investigate. So that dissolved the new German-American Bund, you know, not related to the old thing at all. But their leader (laughs) was the veteran Nazi, like a literal veteran of the early formation of the Nazi Party in Germany, a guy called Fritz Kuhn. And he organised it into 69 branches across the country, including 17 in New York alone. About 25% of the members were German-born, the others were mostly first and second generation Americans. There were never more than about 9,000 enrolled members. But at the peak of its influence, it was able to attract 20,000 people to a rally in Madison Square Gardens, which ended with a mass salute of a George Washington portrait alongside a photograph of Hitler, which goes to the heart of what this movement and these summer camps are about, the idea that America was compatible with Nazism. And also you've got to think about who facilitated those 20,000 people to be there. You know, it's like that Larry David thing, isn't it, with the Klansman outfit going to the dry cleaner? Like, there were people who tailored the swastikas to put on people's clothes. There were shops that sold those people lunch. Yeah. You know, there were cops that were there policing the event. So there was a lot more tacit support than the numbers might suggest. But at the same time, it's worth noting that at this point in history, 15 million German Americans were living in the United States. And so this is only a small fraction. And to a large extent, the people who went to these summer camps were the disillusioned elements of those Germans who had moved to the country, people who'd 
probably hoped that the hard times that they were leaving behind in the country that they'd emigrated from would not be reproduced in the US, but they came to the Depression in the 30s. And do you know what? Their foreign accents didn't make it very easy for them to find good jobs in the first place. And so Camp Siegfried may have represented at least a bit of a respite from the difficulties of their daily lives. It's just that when they got there, it turned out it was also a a kind of (laughs) pro-Nazi rallying point. Yeah, and it wasn't disguised very well. You know, there was a swastika-shaped flower bed in the centre of the camp. There were swastikas <laughs> built into the brickwork. The whole place was festooned with Nazi flags, pictures of Hitler, catchy German fascist slogans. There was a Goebbels street and a Hitler street. Yeah, yeah, so this is where it got weird, was that in 1936, so two years before this day, the German-American Settlement League, which was affiliated with the German-American Bund, had applied to build housing sort of on the fringes of the camp intended for sympathisers to buy, presumably as holiday homes. And they were on all these streets and named after Hitler and Goebbels, etc. And that speaks to the role that camps like this were playing in the wider communities. They weren't just destinations for children to be sent on summer holidays, but they were also a venue for German-Americans to come together for dances, parties, parades that blended traditional German activities, Mm. (laughs) drinking beer, playing umpa music, etc., with then indoctrinating fascist principles as well. And it's just so funny because, like, for most people, when they think about summer camps in New York, I feel like the impression that we've got of what that must be like has basically been formed by Jewish filmmakers, like, reliving nostalgic versions of their Borscht Belt summer camps in the 1950s, (laughs) you know, in things like Dirty Dancing. The Mm. idea that that sort of environment was laid on specifically to indoctrinate children to become Nazis in New York State is extraordinary. The stuff that was going on there, I kind of made a joke of it at the top, but you did have the the kind of swimming athletic contests and singing and so on. Yeah. But the the ugly side, as well as the kids being used as quasi-slave labour, in part because the Bund were trying to save money and the leadership were refusing to bring in a whole lot of tradespeople because they were convinced that the unions were all run by Jews. There were also allegations of sexual misconduct, partly because there were these ideas that had come from the German version of what young Aryans were meant to do, and they were meant to get busy producing more young Aryans. So they were actively encouraging Mm. kids to, you know, get together. Cross-pollinate. Yeah. Yeah, it basically gave pro-Nazi parents a way to give their kids a sort of a parallel education outside of what they were getting at American public schools. Almost as if if you're a Nazi sympathiser and you found yourself in the US and you're thinking, oh, well, I wish my kids were back home going to Hitler Youth Sessions with all of their peer group. It gave you a way to do that. And even the non-affiliated bystanders, you know, the locals of these towns, you might think, well, how did the locals of Yapank, Long Island feel about seeing literal uniformed Nazis parading through the town? Well, according to an FBI interviewer who'd come to investigate the camps, there's just one person they spoke to who said that for them, the most objectionable part was men and women wearing shorts and a abbreviated bathing suits on the highways, (laughs) trespassing on private property and stealing flowers. It seemed like the thing in the end which really started to cause opposition was this idea that there was going to be a fascist coup in the US because young campers were taught to prepare for what was called Detarg, the day, you know, the day that fascism would take over America and they would be the vanguard. They would be in high positions in this new state. That's what they were preparing for. And this idea started to attract mainstream concern in 1938 when there was a trial of some Bund leaders. But they called as a witness a member called Martin Wunderlich who said, I salute the American flag as a member and a proud member of the white race. And then he stood up and raised his right arm in a Hitler salute. The prosecuting attorney asked, 
that is the American salute? To which he replied, it will be. And I think mm. it was this idea, rather than any ideological objection to fascism, the idea that there could be a coup in the works was what eventually drew negative attention. Then obviously when America entered World War II, these organisations pretty much all resolved pretty much immediately. Well, this is the astonishing thing, isn't it? That they were ultimately shut down, but there weren't many ramifications for the people involved in the camps and the people who went to the camps. So in 1939, the Bund's national leader Kuhn, who we mentioned earlier, was actually prosecuted for grand larceny. Yeah, exactly, for tax avoidance, basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I know that's how they get you in America, isn't it? We've covered this before with various <laughs> right. entities. But still, like, he'd been doing other things, like riling up an entire community into anti-Semitism and overthrowing the country. Yes. <laughs> like, got him for, like, filing his paperwork wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah, and similarly, the National Secretary, James Wheeler Hill, was convicted of perjury. You know, these were people who were actively marching around with swastikas. You know, there's sort of problematic minor uh, set of convictions for a, a narrow subset of the people involved and the others just melted away into the community. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that the whole movement dissolved so quickly when America entered the war, apart from obviously the opposition of the population in general, was the fact that it cut off their links with Germany because the whole time there was this direct mm. link with the German government. They didn't publicly acknowledge it at all. But supplies, books, uniforms and even teachers were sent from Germany to, to help indoctrinate the kids in America. There were also exchange trips to Germany throughout the 1930s, including a delegation of kids from Camp Siegfried who attended the 1936 Berlin Olympics and got to meet Adolf Hitler, who told them, keep up the fight. Well, I mean, there were people all over the world, and it's worth saying in Britain too, of course, um, who supported the idea of someone who believes in the rule of law and, you know, marshalling the country together and recovering from the First World War. And I think you can see that this kind of willful blindness even in that New York Times report on this day that you referenced, Rebecca, you know, 40,000 at Nazi camp fate is the headline, but it's very cheerfully reported. Mm. It's alongside a report about Fanny Farmer's cookbook being reprinted and another about some kids winning a prize for some writing at schools. And that quite muted reaction might actually be from the fact that this was a common occurrence throughout summers in the 1930s. Every Sunday, a specially commissioned train service called the Camp Siegfried Special ran from Penn Station in New York City to Yaphank, where uniformed campers would be gathered to greet the guests with their Hitler salutes, singing the Nazi anthem. So maybe this would just become such a commonplace site in this handful of communities mm. that it didn't attract that much notice. Yeah, I wasn't going there for the genocide stuff. I was going there to get my book-burning scout badge. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow. Well, I mean, so deadly was the race that three people died before it started. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.